Well, good morning, church. It's, uh, it's good to be back. I, I was, uh, this last week, uh, trompsing through the wilderness, uh, seeing mountains, uh, uh, really trying to take all of that in. And uh, as, I was, as I was walking through, I was thinking uh, of many of you and our church. And I just want to say uh, thank you to our church. I want to say thank you to our elders and our leaders that uh, you all allow me to be gone uh, in July and uh, go off and refresh and recharge and go do things in the mountains. So I, I thought, well, let me show you a couple pictures of what I got to see this last week. Just go ahead and put that up. Uh, this was one of our camping spots. I woke up to this. Uh, go ahead to the next slide. This was a, a little uh, pan. Those are our tents there. Um, this is the last one I'll show you. I, I had the opportunity. That's me. I'm, uh, if you can't quite see it. The pictures don't quite do it justice, but uh, right sitting on that rock, you can look way down this canyon. And uh, it was just awe-inspiring, and I, I happened to have a little time with Jesus uh, up there on that rock, and someone caught the picture, and uh, I thought I'd share that with you. Those are the things that I get to do. That's what recharges my battery, and, and I wanted to say thank you, church, for letting me be gone and, um, and letting me do stuff like that. So that's a, that's a whole lot of fun. Thank you so much. Uh, we're in this series, Pressure Points, and, and, and we're in this series for a reason. We want to come uh, understand ourselves as well as God and His Word, and uh, we have to understand the things that sometimes can uh, create tension for us in our own lives, conflict, uh, pressure points. We do that because, well, we as a church have decided uh, that we want to help people find and follow Jesus. That if we're going to help people find and follow Jesus, if we're going to be a part of creating Christ-like community, then we have to actually live like Christians. Did you know that? It's going to be a whole lot harder as a church to, to, to help people find and follow Jesus if we're not living Christ-like. And so this series is really surrounded and, and kind of centralized on this idea that how we handle these pressure points, how we handle certain things, and how we live actually does matter. And we as a church need to recognize and kind of fall in line and say, I'm going to live like a Christian. Doesn't matter what the situation might be. Doesn't matter what kind of pressure I'm under. Doesn't matter what kind of tension I'm experiencing. I need to, to live like Jesus no matter what. And we've done that through this series, just looking at David and the things that he's experiencing and how he responds, uh, both good and bad. And this morning, we're looking at this idea of intention. I would, I, would, I would just bet all of us in this room probably have the best of intentions, right? Uh, we have great intention to live like Jesus. Otherwise, we probably are not here this morning. We want to live rightly. We have this motive. We have a drive, at least at some level, uh, to want to, to do the right thing. But sometimes even the best laid intentions lead to unintended consequences. There was a, a, a I coached a soccer team, and there was a dad uh, many years ago when we were a, a little younger. And if you know anything about young soccer, right, you score more goals. 
And so there was this particular young lady, and uh, uh, she was fairly athletic at a young age, and she would score lots of goals. And she, uh, she would tell me later on that she never liked to play defense. I said, what? Soccer, everybody plays defense. Well, I, I don't. I said, well, why, why is that? Why is it that you don't want to play defense? Well, my dad pays me every time I score a goal. Now, I understand the intention there. Dad's thinking, I want her to go out and I want her to work hard and I want her to, uh, you know, try and get the ball and score. Now, the unintended consequence of all that, now fast forward several years and the competition is harder. If you know anything about soccer, you know that usually the score is not like 10 to 1. It's more like 2 to 1, 2 to 1, or maybe 3 to 1. And so she found that she wasn't scoring near as many goals and her dad wasn't paying her near as much money. And so the unintended consequence was she wasn't having near as much fun as she did before. And eventually she decides that she's not going to play soccer at all. Sometimes even the best laid intentions have unintended consequences, unwanted consequences. I remember in college there was a guy, and, and he had the best intentions. We uh, were all in ministry in one church or another, and he happened to be leading a youth group in his particular church, and uh, we were gathering around to kind of share ideas and uh, see what sorts of things we could come up with together. And he said, now, I'm going to have this big rally, and it's going to be fantastic, and we're going to have music, and the kids are all going to come, and, and I'm telling them to bring their friends because we're going to have a raffle. Uh, for a hundred dollar winner. If you bring your friends, I'll give you a hundred bucks. All of us kind of like nervously looked around like, do you really think that that's the best idea? I mean, red flags began going off in our minds like, wait a minute, time out. I'm not sure that you're you're sending the right message. I understand your intent. You want kids who don't know about Jesus maybe uh, to know about him, but is giving them $100 really what you really want to do? You best laid intentions, but maybe there's some uh, hidden un, uh, unwanted consequences. Sometimes we might have great intentions, but they might carry with them some un warranted, unwanted consequences. So I wonder, is, is it enough? Is it enough just to intend to do things the right way? Or do you actually have to do them the right way? Is it, is it enough just to say, I, I had the right motive, I really wanted to do something good? Or is it that we actually have to do God things God's way? I want to suggest to you this morning that we actually have to do more than intend to do something well. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that we actually have to have something more than just a, a right motive to want to do something. Uh, we actually, 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 actually. I don't know if you knew that, actually. But we have to do something. We can't just intend to do. We can't just want to do. We can't just have a right motive to do. I'm suggesting to you this morning that it has to be more than an intention. Because sometimes it, the best of intention comes unwanted consequence. So I want to pose a question. 
What will keep us living continuously God's way? How is it that we will continue day after day, week after week, to live God's word in God's way? Not just to intend to do something right, not just to have a motive. Uh, what is it going to be that, that, that takes us from intending to do to doing? To live God's word in God's way, not just to intend to live God's way, but to actually live in God's way. And so that we can answer this great question, so that we can move just from our intentions to, to something more powerful than our intentions in our actions. I want to delve into a piece of scripture with you where David has all of the right intentions, but he has to face some unintended consequences. He has to face some unwanted things, things that he didn't see coming, uh, things that uh, he had uh, no intention of bringing about. And it's through those unintended consequences that David begins to answer that question for us. How is it that we will actually live God's word in God's way? You see, David, in our story this morning, he, he, is, uh, he has just become king. You heard about that last week with Josh. He's now the king. Everybody knows that he is the king. And one of his first acts that he wants to do as king is he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant. He wants to bring the Ark of God into the capital city of Jerusalem. Now, he wants to do this for a couple of reasons. The first reason is really that the Ark of the Covenant has been neglected. It's been ignored. Now, depending on who you read and who you listen to, the Ark of the Covenant has been ignored now from anywhere between 20 and 60 years. That's a long time. It has been ignored. It has been uh, put up in, in really a no-name town with a no-name priest for, for a very, very long time. I mean, just imagine the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, God's peace of holiness in the world. And it's stuck in some preacher's garage for 60 years. Can you imagine that? I mean, if it's not stuck in his garage, it's in some storage facility, and it's just sitting there. It's actually, uh, the Bible tells us, uh, if we were to look at the geography of it all, it's actually right near Philistine territory where the Philistines might have had access to it. It's just been sitting there collecting dust. Now, when we say the Ark of the Covenant, this is generally what people think of. Go ahead. Now, we learn a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant from this movie, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, it was a box. Ark uh, in the original language really is uh, meaning about a box or a chest. It was a box or a chest that was covered in gold. It was ornate. God himself designed it. And it had these uh, cherubim, these angels on the top of it. It was kind of God's seat. It was where his presence was said to reside. It wasn't that God was in the box. 
You see, theologically, this this ark was special, and it was special because even though God had said early on, hey, don't make any images, right? Don't, Don't make any images of any other gods. I'm your God, and I don't have a form or a shape. He recognized that we often, as human beings, need something physical, right? I mean, we have communion every single Sunday. We like physical things. We want a remembrance. We want a recognition of God's holiness and his majesty and his, and his superiority and his power, right? We need to be in awe of God. And the box, this ark of the covenant uh, that held the Ten Commandments that God had written on, it was supposed to be uh, this representation of God's holiness and His majesty and His power. And it was supposed to uh, really uh, institute in all of God's people just this uh, immense sense of awe and power and majesty. I mean, can you imagine it? And David wants to bring the ark into Jerusalem. One of his first acts as king, he wants everybody in Jerusalem to recognize, hey, Israel is now under new management. And God is at the center of it. That's what he wants everybody to recognize. New management, God now in charge. And so he desires to bring God into the forefold of everything that Israel is doing. And he has the best intentions. But I want to answer that question for us this morning. How is it we move? How is it that we continually live, not just with intention, but with actuality? How is it that we really begin to do God's word in God's way? And what we're going to begin to see with David is that he has to face some unintended consequences before he learns what it's like to do God's word in God's way. Are you ready to get into the Bible? Are you ready to get into God's word this morning? Would you open up with me? If you don't have a Bible with you, Uh, Go ahead, grab your cell phone, go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, Uh, grab a pew Bible in front of you, go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you get to 1 Kings, you have gone too far, it's in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is in the front of your Bibles. So once you get to Ruth, you're really close, go to 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel, and we're going to be in chapter 6. David has great intentions. And we see these great intentions right off the bat early on in this text. And he's thinking, maybe intentions are good enough. Read with me, would you? In verse 1, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all of his men went to Baalah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front, 
And David and all of Israel were celebrating all, with all their might before the Lord with, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Oh, I mean, don't you see here? David has the best of intention. Bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem. This is going to be great, isn't it? I mean, we fully expect, as we read these first five verses, we fully expect that everything's going to go great for David. I mean, he has been the guy who has, has brought God back to the fourfold of Israel. He has done so many wonderful things. Uh, he has constantly tried to uh, look at God and what God is doing and, and if God is with him. And we fully expect that everything's going to go grand right here. Uh, the problem is that David is not doing God's things God's way. If we were to go back to Numbers chapter 4, that's earlier on in the Bible, but if we were to go to back to Numbers chapter 4, you see God had given some instruction as to how the Ark of the Covenant was to be handled. Now remember, the Ark of the Covenant was not something to be toyed with. Yes, it was a piece of furniture, but it was a special piece of furniture that God himself had designed, and it was about his holiness. It was about his majesty. It was about all people standing in awe of God's holiness, his justice. And that was all wrapped up in this piece of furniture. And God gave instruction that when the ark was to be moved, that it was to be moved specifically with the priests. And it was to be moved on long poles. And you were to carry the ark. You were not to roll it. David had all the right intention. But he didn't do God's things God's way. And there's a consequence. Look with me and recognize the consequence that, that is paid even though David had all the right intentions. Even though he's celebrating before the Lord. Notice verse 6. When they came to the threshing... The, the, let me start over. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. And therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Now you and I are reading that and we're maybe familiar with the story. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, and even if you are familiar with the story, we're thinking kind of this is a little bit unfair, don't you think? Like what the heck, God? I mean, come on, you're, you're, you're God. You're, you're loving and kind and, and you love your people and, and, and David is intending to do the right thing. Isn't he? Come on now, give me a little head shake. Is David trying to do the right thing or not? Yeah, he's trying to, he's trying to bring God's presence back to Jerusalem. He's trying to bring God and say, God's now in charge, and, and, I, and we're going to focus in on God, and he's trying to do, he's intending to do the right thing. Isn't that enough? The text is saying, absolutely not. It's not enough. Because David didn't do God's things God's way. 
And Uzzah dies. And this can happen to you and I, can it? I mean, we can intend to do all the right things with God. But if we're not doing God's things God's way, we may have to face some unintended consequences. We may intend uh, for all of our life to handle our relationships in a holy and righteous way. We might have that motivation and intention, but until we begin actually to act God's way in our relationships, we might face some unintended consequences. And the unintended consequences for David really shake him. And there's a little clue in the text. There's a little clue that helps us understand what God is really after, that answers this question that we're, we're asking this morning. How is it that you and I begin to continually find conviction to live God's word, God's way? regularly how is it that we begin to to continually say i'm not just going to intend to do the right things i'm actually going to do the right things i am going to live out god's way all the time that my intentions are not just enough there's a little clue in the text and it comes in verse seven i want you to hear it look at verse seven the lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and, and, and here's why if you, if you get to that little word because in your Bibles, uh, oftentimes the author is saying, why? Why did Uzzah die? Because of his irreverent act. Now, to you and I, that may seem harsh, but remember what the ark is. The ark is God's presence on earth. The ark is a representation of God's holiness. It's His majesty. It's His power. It's His sovereignty. Hey, you church, uh, listen to this. We don't, we don't give God a fist bump. We don't waltz into the presence of Jesus. We crawl on our knees and we bow our faces before who God is. Everybody who, who even comes close to encountering the very presence of God throughout the Bible hits their face. You see, sometimes uh, in the modern church, we think we can just waltz into the presence of God. That's not how this works. How is it that you and I begin to actually live God's Word in God's way in a continual manner? We recognize the awe and power and the majesty of who God is. We never forget who God is. We continually seek to treat the God of the universe with reverence. And we remember who He is. He created the universe. How is it that we do that? How is it that we begin to, to, to try and treat God like God? How is it that we begin to cre you know, uh, treat Him like the creator of the universe that He is? This last week, I showed you some pictures. We were in the mountains, and we're, we're hiking all over the place, and, and there is beauty at every single turn. There's these giant mountains standing in front of you, and, and at one point, I just kind of blurted out this question that I'd been thinking of as we were hiking along to some of the guys that we were with, and I said, what is it 
What is it that, that draws us to the mountains? What is it that makes us want to strap 60 pounds to our back and walk through the woods? Why is it that we do this? One of the guys answered, because it reminds us of the magnificence of who God is. You walk through the woods and you're looking at these giant mountains and these giant pieces of granite just coming out of nowhere and you're trying to to make your way through everything and it reminds you of the reverence of who God is. And in that moment, when you begin to look at all of God's creation, you have to take a step back, not not a step forward. And you begin to hit your knees, if not physically, mentally, you begin to go, oh, oh, that's right. I remember who God is. He is powerful and he is majestic and he is the king and I am not. And if I am going to live God's word, God's way, I have to remember that my intentions are nothing. I need him. Larry said it earlier in his communion meditation in John 15 when Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. uh, Apart from him, what can I do? I can do nothing. And so if we're going to live God's word, God's way, if we're going to move beyond our good intentions to good action, then we have to live in constant remembrance of the reverence of who God really is. And unfortunately, in this story, it was the unintended consequence of David's good intention that it took to remind David to fear God. Look, look with me, would you? Verse 8, Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken against Uzzah, and to this, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? You want to live more than on good intentions? You want to live God's things in God's way, God's word, God's way? Then you need to learn to fear the Lord. And now maybe for you, uh, that's like me. You got to go find yourself in some wilderness somewhere, and you got to just look up and go, oh, oh my God has been here. For some of you, maybe that's stepping outside on a clear uh, Iowa night and looking up at the stars and going, wow. Maybe you got to go out to California in the redwoods and, and recognize how small and insignificant you really are in the whole scheme of things. And you, you look up to heaven and you go, wow, God, now I know. I know how really big you are. And I will bow and worship in reverence of you. I don't know what it is for you, but when we talk throughout the Bible of what it means to fear God, yeah, there's an element of just absolute terror because God is big, way bigger than our minds could possibly comprehend. But to fear God is really to recognize how insignificant I am next to who He is. And that I need him in order to do anything. So if you're going to move beyond intention, church, if you're going to do God's things God's way, you have to live in reverence and awe 
There has to be a sense of, man, I, I am looking over the ocean and I'm so small and insignificant next to who God is. You want to live God's word, God's way? Recognize who God is. But David responds. David responds in an un- unbelievable way. His intentions are turned to reverence to God. He, he begins to reevaluate. But if we're going to do this, we're going to move from intention to, to action. If we're going to do God's word, God's way, uh, we don't just have to recognize who God is. We don't just have to stand in awe and reverence in the power and the majesty of God. We have to worship freely. We have to be unencumbered in our worship. We have to find our, ourself in worship of who God is. Recognize uh, David's response. Look with me, would you, uh, at verse 12. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything that he has because of the ark of the Lord. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying, notice he changes, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And wearing a linen ephod, he is wearing the royal priesthood gown. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. While he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpet. David's intentions give way to absolute freedom in worship. He's been corrected. He's standing in awe of God in, in a way that he has never stood in awe of God perhaps before in his life. He's corrected. He's now trying to live, not just trying, but living God's Word in God's way. And now he's totally unencumbered in his worship. They take six steps. And they say, this, this is a good place right here. Drop everything. We are going to sacrifice before God because we want Him to know how good He is. He is holy and He is majestic and we are in awe of Him. And He decides that He's going to go off the chain in His worship to God. So I want to ask you, what does that look like for you? How are you going to find yourself in unencumbered worship to God? Now, maybe for some of you, uh, that means that you have to be a little more uncomfortable when you come into this building. Maybe you just sense, like, I have to get on my knees before God during a worship service. I have to raise my hands, maybe, uh, during a song that is moving me, and I am just saying, God, I'm yours. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm completely given over to you. And maybe there's nobody else around you that says, I want to lift my hands in prayer to the Lord, but you, you sense God moving you in that way. I want to be unencumbered in my worship. I want my, I, want, want, I want my life to be more than just an intention. I want it to be an action. I want to do God's word in God's way. I want to do God's things in God's way. And I'm not going to be, uh, in, I'm going to go unencumbered in my worship from here on out. If that means that I move in my pew a little bit more than I did before, that's to God and that's to no one else. 
And I'm not going to worry about what the person behind me thinks or the person beside me because I recognize now, maybe more than any, any time before, that this is to God and this is not to them. That I'm going to live, not with great intention, but I'm going to live God's word, God's way. I'm going to do God things God's way. And I'm not going to worry about whatever anybody else thinks because maybe for the first time, I'm not living with intention. I'm living with action. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you so much for your word and how it moves us. And, and Lord, we don't have an ark of the covenant anymore. We have your presence that lives within us. We have your word physically in our hands. We, uh, we take communion every week. We let the symbols of your body and your blood cross our lips. And Lord, I pray that in all of that, we would just consistently live for you. Lord, I pray that we would just be drawn from our intentions into our actions. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would begin uh, not just to try and live, but to actually live. I pray, Lord, that you would change us from having the right intention to the right action, Lord, that we would actually live your word in your way. So, Lord, would you remind us who you are today? Would we go home and would you just give us a powerful sense that you are here? Would you help us to find those daily activities or that daily reminder of just who you are that we would bow in awe of how big and how majestic and how powerful you really are? Lord, would you give us that reminder? And Lord, would you help us to worship who you are freely? not looking over our shoulder, but would we just have a sense of freedom in our worship that, that we would sing to you maybe at the top of our lungs driving down the road or uh, even during our work that we would, we would hum hymns and songs that we have, have sung in this place. Lord, just as a reminder, I'm in, I'm in awe of you and I want to do your things in your way. Lord, move in us. Move us. Move us. Help us not to be the same when we leave here today, Lord. Help us to stand in front of who you are and be different. Lord, help us not to just live with intention. Help us to live with action. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.